they've told us not to eat melon because um, they they sell melon by the weight mm-hmm. rather than size or per item. And to make the melon heavier, they pump it full of water. Oh, water. And the water, be- because it can, you, you can't, you don't know where it's come from. It could have anything in it. I mean, anything. It could, it could have cheese in it. A combination of oxygen and hydrogen. Hepatitis A. Melon and cheese is <laughs> quite a good combo, <laughs> though, isn't it? It's delicious. I'm very fond of melon. So no melon. No melon allowed. That's why they don't use marbles to increase the weight. It's more obvious than water, isn't it? Marbles. <laughs> just give it a shake. Yeah. Yeah. Just give it a shake yeah. and just hear the marbles. Do you think you're going to be able to get through a holiday without eating melon? I mean, there, there are obviously many things that you need to prepare yourself for. You know, no. the jabs. Suitcase weight allowances, you know, the right clothes, Stuff the right time of, of melon year. before yeah, you go, I mean, just so you don't crave it when you're mm, out there. Mm. I would imagine there are there are sources of melon which you would feel more comfortable. But I think the advice, the sim- underground, more, more underground simply, suppliers, of yeah, melon. the kind of the black market melon, melons, yeah don't, yeah, don't go for the black market melon. Go for Oi the geezer, melon. Oi geezer, look around this corner. <laughs> that is an excellent balling. It is, it is. That's how they talk over there. Where in the surfer dude? Where in the guidebook do you get this information? Does it come straight after, you know, arrival at airport, you yes. know, where to get a taxi? By the way, don't, don't eat the melon. <laughs> if they offer you, if you're looking for a taxi and they offer you instead a melon, say, no, I'd, I'd rather stick with a taxi. Do they do the same with oranges? Do they, how's it all, see, fruit melon, over there could melon be. Melon was, was, was the real danger. Really? I've got, it, I've got it written down here. Oh, good. If you've written it down, then it's even well, more that's important. that's legit then, isn't it? If Absolutely. it's on a piece of paper and you've copied and pasted it off the internet, then... Let's just just uh, go all. go past the rabies vaccines. You will die. It says here by an asterisk. Don't forget to have the insect repellent with fifty percent DEET. Um, so Hugh has already got three pages of notes printed. I hasten to add for a holiday that he's not going on for at least two months. Um, Very it's well. It's a lot prepared. less than two months actually. It's one month and one day. Oh well, blimey. Um, uh, Surprise! Yeah, the bags aren't already packed. Big, Taxi ordered. Big, big section on diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> What does it say? <laughs> Boil it, cook it, peel it, or forget it. What, your diarrhoea? Your diarrhoea? <laughs> oh, good Lord, don't that's, do that. That's, um, that's about your food and your water. Yeah. Um, did, did you know Yes. that, you know, the, uh, the gel, the alcohol gel that you use to clean your hands? Yes. You shouldn't do it five times in a row because it loses its efficacy by the fifth. So you should always wash your hands in soap and water before you get to the fifth time using the alcohol gel because the gel stops working after five. It loses its powers. Why? W- what circumstances would lead you to alcohol gel your hands five times? If you're out somewhere, it's dirty and there's no water. You, if you've got this much or time on... there's some melon. If you've got this much time <laughs> on your hands, I've got quite a few jobs around the house that you could yeah, be coming and getting on with. I don't understand what, what job you think I need to do by just well, knowing you're obviously to not you're, melon. You're clearly idle. Mm. No, this was given to us by the local medical centre. Well, this is travel advice. This is very useful. Somebody else did this. I'm, I merely was given it, and I'm now referring it to it for the first time. <laughs> since. Is this a place you should be going to? There's a lot of things you've got to look out for there. You've got to worry about the body fluids, it says here. Oh, I always worry about your I body fluids. I think we might, uh, we might need to get quite a few episodes in the can. I mean, Hugh's going, in going into somewhere, so you know, he might be in quarantine for several months after this trip. To be fair, though, if he doesn't make it back, a cardboard cutout would have more personality. <laughs> this is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. For the third time in a row, we are at my house. Not complaining, just saying. It is mainly because the back of Steve's house currently doesn't exist and because Rory remains on his post-World Cup holiday in Italy. Oh, and Chinch has bottles of peroxide dye placed precariously around his house, and none of us want to end up looking like the lead singer of Kajagoogoo circa 1983. 
<laughs> Google it, by the way. Google image. Limal. Limal. I, yes. I should make it clear that we've not had some major catastrophic events <laughs> in South Manchester. This is a scheduled demolition and rebuilding of the back of my house. It hasn't just sort of fallen over after an earthquake. So the back's come off. What's stopping the things that are in your house going to the outside of your house? Just sheeting? Keeping our fingers crossed. Seriously. <laughs> Hoping for the best. Some, some very carefully placed cork board, Chinch. Cork board. Cork board. Okay. Yeah. Basically, if you come over with a, if you come around with a bottle opener, you're in. Yeah. Mm. By the way, cork board were the group that Lamal formed after he left Kajagugu. Yeah. With me, Hugh Ferris. Ah, Stephen Wyeth. When I sent out a desperate request for someone to bring food to our recording today, mentioned that he was stranded in Wigan and would try and pick something up on the way. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who when Steve said he was stranded in Wigan and would try and pick something up on the way, not willing to accept the equivocation of his message, immediately counter-offered. With cakes. Cakes. Guaranteed cakes. So here they are. Cakes. Two types of cakes. We have from Waitrose, both from Waitrose. Yes. Which, if you don't have Waitrose in your country, is where you would get melon that had been washed not in rabies-filled water. Yes. Um, So I have a white chocolate and lemon tart. Yes, you do. Which is excellent. And we have a tiramisu cake, which has been enjoyed by Chinch. And Steve, both reduced, which was excellent work by Chinch, because they were clearly falling off. You don't want to overspend. You really don't. Just drive through Woodford. You'll get stuff falling off the back of a Waitrose truck. (laughs) Good Lord. Woodford gets the hand-me-downs from the Waitrose and Cheadle. Everybody knows. (laughs) Um, Some housekeeping. We actually have a formal announcement to make, and it is this. SPMPLPL is open for season 2018-2019. Do you want to woohoo? Hugh. Woohoo! Thanks. Oh. What, what is what is the SPMPL? Well, that's very good of you to ask because we may well have new listeners and it's important that all new listeners are um, very much understanding of what I'm about to say. This is the Set Piece Menu Premier League Predictions League where you, our fine listeners, predict how the final Premier League table will look next May and are punished points the more you're wrong. You choose where each team will finish and order them 1 to 20, and the task is to get as few points as possible by getting as many teams in as many finishing places correct as possible. So, for example, if you guessed Manchester City would win the league last season, you'd have got zero points, and so on. If you thought they would finish 20th, for example, you obviously weren't taking it seriously, and you would have got 20 points, which is a sensible punishment for not taking it seriously. Our SPMPLPL winner last season was showered with gifts that were of no consequence or any value, and we can promise the same shower this time around as the glamorous prize to our champion for the 2018-19 season. You have, from now until the 31st of August, to enter and amend your predictions. At 6pm on the 31st, our window will close. How anachronistic. We're not stopping it for the beginning of the Premier League season or anything. And that will be your final selection that you and we can then forget about until May, when we hastily reconvene the SPMPLPL executive board to dish out many, many, or very few, prizes and also mock each other because we'll all be having a go and we'll be terrible. But we'd have to be better last season well Steve has to be better Steve he has, has to, to have learned lessons definitely has season. to be better yeah I've learned lessons last season yeah. I'm going to uh, register my entry under a pseudonym really which yeah. will be Hugh Ferris <laughs> I see I like that now you were absolutely determined to prove that Huddersfield would finish 20th last season you basically said ha, 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 20th Huddersfield what about the rest where did you put them and then of course 20th um, yeah but then of mm. course um, they were fantastic and didn't finish 20th 
at all. Oh, so wow. let's, yeah, let's not start rewriting history. <laughs> they were fantastic. Oh, they they stayed up. <laughs> they <laughs> didn't finish 20th. You're mm. stabbing them in the face. So um, who's going to finish 20th this season then, Chinch? Um, Huddersfield. <laughs> there we go. 20th? Huddersfield. 20th? Cardiff. Oh, no, no, Cardiff will stay up. Cardiff will I, stay that, up. that is going to be reflected in my league table. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. 20 oh, yeah. Cardiff because they'll sack Neil Warnock in which month of the season? Uh, oh, they'll probably look at it September. about... No, 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 December. December. Right then, so if anybody has any questions and we didn't explain it well, uh, please do get in touch, which will mean the most getting in touch of SPM PLPL history. At Setpiece Menu is where we are on Twitter and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Has our IT department... Uh, got the extra computer capacity that we're going to require for for this year's competition. Our IT department is best man Billy, and he has guaranteed me that we will be able to get more people in this time around. He's essentially the bouncer on the door for DA Club. Shouldn't he be brought in when we do announce, shouldn't he be brought in and patted on the back? Because he's doing quite a lot of work here, isn't he? If you would like to do that metaphorically, then please do so. But literally, I'm afraid that will be impossible. He currently resides in St Albans. Oh, so he can't get here from St Albans? Not for just a pat on the back, no. Well, I'd probably give him feels a bit of frangipan or something. I feels you know. a little bit trifling. Trifle? He can have trifle can if have that's trifle. what he likes. So that's the paperwork done then. Let's have a conversation about something trivial instead. Yes. Uh, we thought it had been too long since one of our fabled select 11s. And so we're going to scratch that itch today. So far, we've done a best of the rest 11 based on teams outside the traditional Premier League top six and Everton. That was an absolute hit. Um, Came up with quite a good team, didn't we, as well? I, I think we had quite a good team. We also yeah. thought that Everton would be definitely seventh, and then they obviously finished eighth. Uh, there's been a Don't You Forget About Me 11, uh, which referenced n- Human League not once, uh, with selected players um, from the group that sit on the periphery at the top six. So players at top six clubs, which uh, don't really play very much. Well, they, they, they would have played in the Human League, wouldn't they? They would have played, they would have done they would have played in they? the Human League, yeah. less so in the Premier League. <laughs> well, now, here is another one, and we're going to need your help. Mainly because Rory in Italy means that at least 75% of our brains are absent. <laughs> but also because each time we've done this, our great SPM listeners have had a good deal to add on the issue. So, get your thinking caps on, everyone, because it is time to come up with an inappropriately skilled... 11. I shall explain. Lots of explaining in this pod. <laughs> I do apologise. A little while ago, a listener called Adam Pritchard got in touch via setpiecemenu at gmail.com to suggest a number of potential select 11s. We are grateful for all of them, Adam. Thank you. This was one. He described it as players not very good at their job. So this isn't an out of position 11. There are loads of those about. Very easy to construct. But these are players who are ill-equipped to play in their chosen position and perhaps should have been moved elsewhere a long time ago. I'll give you an example. When Andy Hinchcliffe was a very young player... <laughs> you knew this was yeah, coming. Yeah. Yeah. He was a winger. The youth coaches at Manchester City realised he was ill-equipped to play in this position. I think I actually realised he was ill-equipped. <laughs> As a result, they quickly moved him to left-back where he could go about his business to little acclaim and, more importantly, less detriment to his team. Mm. So Andy would have been in this inappropriately skilled 11 if that fatal flaw in his game hadn't been spotted and he was still a winger. So, this is the inappropriately skilled 11 from Set Piece Menu. Let's throw, throw a few names against the wall and see if they stick. Um, are we going to be constructive about this, or do we need a more explanation as to what we are talking about? Well, maybe should we start with a goalkeeper? Should we start with an example, and well, then we I, can I suppose we'll go from a, there. a goalkeeper is the perfect example, because 
I can think of at least two that prove that there is <laughs> mileage for an inappropriately skilled Evan. And the first one that I will suggest is Claudio Bravo. Is that a goalkeeper that can't save shots, Hugh? Yes, but it, it, and yet is still skilled, but completely inappropriately. He was clearly an outfield player. That for some reason they've he went was a goalkeeper. I mean, arguably, if he was here now, he'd be the best outfield player present. Oh, whoa, well, whoa, whoa! I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, he would actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, take, yeah. I'm taking your, your the yeah. current state of your knees into account. Uh, yes, Chief. yes. But if I was a football manager. I wouldn't put a guy who can't use his hands mm. in goal to stop shots. Yeah. That would seem a strange decision. It, it, it is an odd decision. Especially yeah. if he had alternative options available yes. to you. But yes. also, this is a technical issue as well, because he, he genuinely has has trouble getting his hand to the ball. And I'm, mm. I, it sounds like I'm being facile. Are his hands I, on the right wrist? Because, you know, when you, have, you put your shoes on the wrong feet, you walk in a very different way. Are his hands... I'm assuming that he has been kitted out correctly, yeah. both anatomically, but also in terms of his gloves. Yeah. But but there is an issue. If you look at the goals that Claudio Bravo concedes, they, they are strangely All shots savable. on target. They are, they are, well, <laughs> unfortunately, there are no shots on target that he saves. But th- there is genuinely an issue with the fact that they are savable shots. They are not all worldies that, that most co-commentators, probably not Andy Hitchcliffe, would say mm. the goalkeeper had no chance. chance. Yes. So... so there is technically an issue there. It could be so ball phobic. How, how has he become? Is he sim- has he become an international goalkeeper simply because of his ability to play? Clearly, but but that clearly that's baffling. Surely, but that's why so wasn't far. that the big reason that Guardiola yeah. brought yeah, him absolutely. in and said Joe Hart can't play out from the back. I want my keeper to stand on the edge of the box and be will start start the play. For example, so whether Joe Hart, you don't you want him to save the odd shot? Joe Hart has a technical deficiency. I think it was proved in the last couple of years. It's either down low to his left or down low to his right. Both. Which is, which <laughs> so down low, you know, there's a technical down, deficiency. Down low to the left was, was his undoing at Euro left. 2016. That was it, Euro 2016. Down low to the left, he, uh, the Gareth Wales. Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, Wales. The, and the Iceland winner. Right, so down low to his left, that is a technical deficiency, which can be exploited. But genuinely, Claudio Bravo, I, I again, look at the evidence, say, is unable to save shots mm. that are within his proverbial wheelhouse. Yes, so why why? <laughs> well, how but how did he become a goalkeeper? He's then? a Chile national goalkeeper. He played. No, for but when Barcelona. he was when, when he was younger, they must have seen that this this lad can is a really great goalkeeper. What was his What was his junior career? Where Where did he? Can we find out where he? That's the most interesting thing. Is when did he become? Has he always been a goalkeeper? He doesn't look, look like he hasn't learned anything. I wonder whether this the past is a fifteen th- years. A theme that will develop throughout this debate is that have certain players managed to accidentally stumble through a career without any weaknesses being exploited was did Claudio Bravo continuously play in goal for teams that didn't have to no, face because, well, very yes, many shots yes, he, he, clearly. Got, he got the Barcelona move because of uh, playing for Real Sociedad mm. in Spain so I, I have now got up his oh, good. career yeah. uh, he was at Colo Colo in Chile and then he went to Real Sociedad for eight years where he actually scored a goal, so there's, there's a proof of what... Maybe he's a goal-scoring record. So, uh, he's not playing for a team that is going to have all the ball the whole time and to, to never... But maybe, maybe the fact that he did so well is because he was called into action a lot more and so the, the percentages went up. Yeah. Perhaps uh, perhaps when he was busy, maybe concentration is an issue for him. And playing. <laughs> and when he was at Barcelona, you know, maybe he didn't have to... didn't face too many shots and his ability to play out from the back is what... Encourage Pep Guardiola to bring him to Manchester City. But what, make, yeah, what makes it even more stark is Edison 
when they brought him in. He is very good with the ball at his feet. He does make the odd mistake, but he's a very good goalkeeper as well, where Bravo can play, but doesn't seem to save many shots. So when you bring a goalkeeper in who is clearly, yes, he can play with the ball at his feet, but also he can catch crosses and make great saves as well when, when called upon. That's what you, that's surely what you want, isn't it? Much as we all share an admiration for Pep Guardiola, we did during his first season as a Manchester City manager discuss things that perhaps he hadn't got quite right. And maybe this was one of them, that he was ill-prepared for just how many times his goalkeeper would be asked to save the ball. Mm. Because he wasn't, it was something that didn't maybe yeah. happen as, as yeah. much at Barcelona. Yeah. And then, of course, he brought in Willy Caballero to cover Claudio Bravo when it didn't go well. And, and Willy Caballero against Croatia um, for Argentina. Had was, a that the, was that the Rebic yes. goal? Yes. yes, had a yes. similar moment. Yes. There's another name I want to throw into the frame for the goalkeeper position, although I think Claudio Bravo is safe. Fraser Forster, who is a giant of a man, but somehow manages to make the goal look really big. <laughs> he's a huge goalkeeper who I met him for the first time after the final game of the season when City beat Southampton with a late goal I had he'd let in some awful goals in games that I commentated on and I'm sure he must have heard my comments but then he was really not, but he is enormous he's at least 12 feet tall how can he not be a good goalkeeper but the ball seems to whistle past his ear and tame crosses into the penalty area seem to elude him is he a confidence keeper or just a terrible goalkeeper but he's now third choice at Southampton He's leaving, isn't he? Isn't he? It will, um, he will when be. you hear this, he might well. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. I think a year ago he was very likely to be part of the England squad at the World Cup and dropped down the pecking order very quickly. But he but he doesn't look like a a, a sportsman or That's a footballer who played. What other position could he have been moved from? He doesn't look like basketball. a basketball, another well, sport, lock forward in rugby. So another sport, but not football. So potentially Claudio Bravo, Fraser Forster, and the other the other person that everybody will be screaming at their earbuds if that's something that's even possible is Loris Carius. Now Loris Carius at the beginning of his career at Liverpool was supposed to be an absolute fine because he only cost £5 million or something had a terrible time even though Jurgen Klopp was trying to bring him into the team because of his footballing abilities as well as all the other goalkeeping skills that he had of course his most recent uh, match in front of cameras uh, was the Champions League final what um, happened there? there were extenuating circumstances though, there were there? extenuating circumstances were there? yes were there? Yes. Whenever Sergio Ramos is around, there's extenuating circumstances. Sergio Ramos is, is yeah. if nothing else, an extenuating circumstance. Is he? But is, is Loris Carius similar to Claudio Bravo in that he's good on the floor? Not rolling it out, obviously, but good on the floor. Or, or, or good enough on the floor to make his inability <laughs> to save shots from 25 yards out, from 30 yards out from Gareth Bale. To, where does the balance lie with him? I... I f- don't you feel that Claudio Bravo is more consistently poor? <laughs> Where Carius has the odd blip. Quite significant blips, as we saw in the Champions League final. But there were but, extenuating circumstances. But there were there. <laughs> but anyway, Dr. Ferris. Uh, it seems with Bravo that every shot that goes his way, all the City players gasp, thinking, we're going to be kicking off in a second. <laughs> Whereas with Carius, I've watched him play and he does make... That's why I was really surprised. With Bravo, you wouldn't be surprised. Whereas with Carius, people were genuinely kind of, whoa, what's happened here? And do you know what? He had a really good reputation in Germany where there isn't a great deal of defending that goes on, so goalkeepers are pretty busy. Yeah. So the extenuating circumstance that you'd like to bring to bear on Loris Carius is the fact that he's actually okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's the goalkeeper's conversation. Again, let us know what you think at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. This is an inappropriately skilled 11. Actually, can I, can I just do a reverse of that? Nigel Gleghorn. Do you remember Nigel Gleghorn? <laughs> yes. I don't know whether people out there would... Li- he 
always went on about what a great goalkeeper he was, but he played kind of in midfield, on the left-hand side of midfield. There was one game for Man City where I think Eric Nixon, the City keeper, got sent off, and Nigel went in, and he was absolutely brilliant. Keepers coming for crosses, bowling it out, and he was a better goalkeeper <laughs> than, than Eric he was Nixon. an outfield player. But he played as an outfield player, but he kept going on about what a great keeper he was, and people always say that. Yeah, yeah, until it... But he was amazing! Well, we will come to that. So that's the reverse. Exactly. Well, there'll be conversations that we have around players which are exactly that too. And of course, if you have any ideas, let us know. Mm. Let's move into defence, shall we? And the one, pl- the one player who genuinely encapsulates this conversation and you will have him brought up either instinctively in your own mind or by any articles about anything like this, it is, of course... David Luis. Mm. So is this defenders that can't defend? <laughs> this is the inappropriately skilled 11 defenders who can't defend. But or defenders who can't defend but can do other things, which is the point which I is, is he I know he's playing in defense and that's a position that he's meant to be playing. But does he actually know that? <laughs> it could be a it could be a, a a breakdown in communication that they've said to him. But you do know you're playing centre half, don't you? You PlayStation running around idiot. Because oh, he just tends to. He just tends to. I don't know what game he's pl- he's playing a, a different game than everybody else, isn't he? Maybe it's the hair. I don't know. Although in Chelsea's uh, title-winning season under Antonio Conte, sitting in between two centre back, more traditional centre, although as Pelicueta wasn't a traditional centre back, but mm-hmm. sitting in the middle of three, that seemed to suit him, and it's almost baffling that he. No, but it takes all the defensive onus off him. Where he's gone. Yeah, it takes all the defensive onus because the other two, if you do something silly, we've still got two people there. If you play in a back four and do something silly, we we can't bail you out. Defending is is two things. It's not just tackling. It's positional sense. So can he tackle? Um, no. Can can he get himself into the right position? No. Right. So the one thing he can do is move and pass. Yes, he's a midfield player. So he should be in midfield. Yeah, and he's less, he's less, uh, he's less of a risk to the team that he's playing is he in. Good enough to play in midfield. Yes. So is he one of those footballers who's a bit of a, a victim of tactical jiggery pokery? Coaches like him; they want him in their team. They spend but loads then, of money on him. They spend loads of money, but they're not really entirely sure where's best for him. So they think, right, well, we're going to be mainly attacking. <laughs> So you can't do a great deal of harm playing out of position there. Mm. And every so often you'll do something crazy mm-hmm. that will be fantastic. Yeah. But the point here is is that there are players like Javier Mascherano and, uh, no, and, and others who have been made into centre-backs for a team who has a lot of the ball. Wolves last season. Connor Cody? Right, so it's worked. Central midfielder, but he tackles well, reads the game understands how to defend. He isn't a midfielder who thinks that's not part of my... That's the other two centre-halves' job. He can still do that. That's what makes him... But then on the ball, he plays like a midfielder. And he he was absolutely sensational for Wolves last season and we'll see him this season in the Premier League. Mascherano is quite a good example, though, because as you say, he was successfully converted from a defensive midfield player into a centre-half at Barcelona. Again, you, you get the suggestion was, well, we've got Javier Mascherano. We want him in the team. We don't really need him to play in defensive midfield because we've got Sergio Busquets to do that job Mm -hmm. but what we do need is a centre-half so let's see if we can make that work Yes. but what we saw then was Argentina tried to play him back in midfield during the World Cup and he'd seemingly seemingly completely forgotten how to do that job absolutely yeah so you can take a player try and reform him try and change him into something that he's never previously been and he forgets the job that he was born to do so this is the do we blame the coaches then for putting these players 
in these positions, which they're not suited to. If you're a coach of Davi Luiz, you would probably assess that he is not quite good enough to be a central midfielder of note in your excellent team. And he has played for very good teams Mm -hmm. over his time. He he was signed originally from Benfica, wasn't he, to Chelsea and then to PSG and then back to Chelsea. Um, So he is at good clubs and he's not good enough of a midfielder. So they have to put him in defence. He's... Is that to not me, a pragmatic he's a, approach? Yeah. He's a when the going's good player. When it isn't so you going have to play so well. Good team. You have to play for a good team if you're David Luiz. You can't yes. play for a bad team. But when everything's going well, but when your back's against the wall and you need to do a job that then you really notice how poorly suited they are to the position they're playing. If you ask the, the coach of a, of a team where David Luiz was mm. to write down his best 10 outfield players, mm. his outfield footballers, David Luiz would be on that list every time. Mm. It's just the problem is, is they don't know where to slot him into the formation that they play. And it's not reliable. It's actually then it becomes a problem to your own team. And that really shouldn't be the case when you pick a team. You then think, well, could he actually cause us more problems than the opposition? That's a worry. Why did it take so long for, for Conte to decide? I know he's a, he was injured, apparently, a lot last season. But why did it take so long for, for a manager of repute to say, right, OK, I've realised that this guy isn't working? Well, I think if you have a massive transfer fee, massive wages a player with the reputation and maybe status of David Luiz, it takes a strong coach to actually say to Abramovich, by the way, I'm yeah. not playing him. You signed say, a nugget. On a minute. You we, re-signed we, a nugget. We, well, you spent a foot, I don't care. But that takes, that is absolutely the right thing to do. But many coaches wouldn't do that for fear of losing their own jobs because the owners would say, hang on a minute, we brought him in. We, we think he's right for the club. But, well, I, I don't think he is and I'm the manager. So it takes a lot of strength to leave him out. Any other defenders on the particularly? Apart from defenders? myself, because I was no, I was excellent in my. Well, position, we're going to need I? a left back at some yeah. point. Yeah. Well, funnily yeah. enough, left back brings me on to a suggestion that I've got to make, which is almost the reverse, and this is part of the conversation too. That sometimes you're too good for your position. Oh, and, was I? Oh, not me. Sometimes one is too good for one's position. Okay. And David Alaba, at Bayern Munich, genuinely is far too good to be a left back. And for his country, Austria, he plays in central midfield. Yes, he does. Yeah. On occasion. Yeah. And so there, he, he is inappropriately skilled. Just show, he no, is, he's showing off. He is too good to be a left back. And, and anybody who you think uh, would contribute to this team who is too good for the position they play, they are mm. underwhelming themselves when in fact they could be an excellent central midfielder. Mm. Uh, let us know and add them to the list. But David Alaba, how about that for a conversation? Yeah, and about he, at, you should be playing in a more important but, position. But there's a theme there with Bayern because you could have said the same thing about Philip Lahm. And you can well, say the yeah, same they, thing. They about don't play badly in those positions. No, 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 do they? no. Yeah. no, no are no. we saying that these people? No, it's, it's, you can you can have them playing brilliantly ah, in their position, but they are inappropriately good. skilled. Okay. And they are too good for playing left back because not inappropriately skilled. He's perfectly skilled to play left back. But he should be should be playing somewhere else because he but, is that good. But fullbacks now are so important. Oh. So, so maybe he's play- yeah. no. The way the teams are structured now, fullbacks. The whole reason I'm doing how this much bit is to how, undermine no, 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 no. the left back position. How, I can see what you're trying to do. It's not going to work. How much money are fullbacks going for? How much did Carl Walker, even though he played at centre half, how much will Kieran Trippier be worth? Because these players are so influential that that position now is maybe the reason that he plays there because that position is so important to the team now. Steve and I had a very, very inappropriately loud argument over what was probably a third or fourth pint and... Of that particular part of the evening. Lovely, lovely uh, Indian food. Um, we, I think we cleared the restaurant because we were being so aggressive to eat mm-hmm. towards each other. We, we like each other, but, but that night was very aggressive. We so felt we about, the, about the value of fullbacks and whether okay. value is different to worth. Value is different to worth. That, that was the question. And there were raised voices for... a. So who, 30, were you? Minutes? So you're disagreeing. One, we disagreeing. Once, who said 
they were of great this value. This is not something, genuinely, this is not something you want to reignite. Because you might, that pie might get thrown <laughs> in his face. No, nobody is having this pie. It was, it was uh, sat there okay. half eaten for about 20 minutes. To paraphrase, it was one of those conversations where we discussed the merits of clubs spending vast sums of money on certain players who you would deem to, to not be justifying that kind of price tag because of the position they play on the field. I was very offended by mm. I'm offended on, by that. On, on your behalf. I'm offended Jim. on your behalf. On your behalf. Let's, let's be offended on each other's behalf. Oh, so good. I'm glad we're ganging up on me. <laughs> if we, that was anyway, we're getting into territory about fullbacks here, which we're not. this is not so, what we're meant to be so talking David about. So David is, is, yeah. is there. David Alaba is there, but for yeah. different reasons. reasons. So again, okay. uh, I appeal and to if people, if they if they thought of a player who's too good for where they play, then do let us know. And Joshua Kimmich who very often plays at right-back for Bayern Munich, is another good example. I think it's much more fun to to find hilarious players playing out of position <laughs> yes, than it is. is to find players who are too good for their position. But let's uh, keep the debate nice and open. Yeah. So we've got a couple of defenders. And again, like I said at the beginning, there may well not be enough time because, goodness me, we're nothing if not tangential. Um, but also, um, we would like you to complete our 11. So we've got a couple of defenders in there to keep us going. What about midfielders? And this, again, is not an out-of-position uh, 11. So we don't have to talk about Paul Scholes being an amazing left winger, according to Svenja and Eriksson. We're talking about players who perhaps shouldn't be playing midfield because they don't display the qualities needed to be a midfielder or perhaps they're rubbish at passing but brilliant at scoring goals inappropriately skilled midfielders Ginge, I, I, got I a go smile on your face I go from I go from recent experience a game I covered Chelsea at Watford Bakayoko Timue Bakayoko in the middle of the park the governor <laughs> he gave the ball <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a genuine stat from the game no one has given the ball away as much as he did in the opening 25 minutes of the game. I think 13 of the 14 times he took possession, he gave the ball away. Which, even if I played in that position, I'd probably be better than that. Unless Glenn Hubbard's trying to get you to use your Absolutely. Well, that clearly <laughs> bent it in the top corner. But he, he was laughable. And even I was praying that he'd actually pass to one of his own players. And you, I can't remember many games where you get to 15 minutes and you're thinking... I, I could seriously take this guy off because, as I said with David, you're becoming, you're giving possession to the opposition halfway inside our half here when you're meant to be the guy that we feed the ball with, you turn and we move forward. He was actually working, it, it was like he had a Watford shirt on underneath his Chelsea one. It was laughable and he came off at half time and it's one of the worst performances of a central midfielder because I, I, I presume that is, whether as a kid he played anywhere, it was totally and utterly inept. It hadn't had anything that you would any redeeming feature from his performance in that game to say oh I can see why he's playing in there 13 or 14 times you give the ball away Carragher was beside himself is he the modern day Carlton Palmer (laughs) Carlton Palmer good lord that is opening a massive can of worms you must have a soccer story about Carlton Palmer you could furnish us with at some I, point. I, I actually, I don't know whether I have. I've got a soccer I, story about Carlton Palmer. Have I done a Carlton Palmer one? I, 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 yeah, I have I one from our Sheffield Wednesday days, but uh, but he has more England caps than I do. <laughs> yes, that's because he was way better than you. Exactly. But So you're saying that Carlton Palmer shouldn't have been a midfielder because he was unable to have any sort of quality in possession of the football. Yeah, but his limbs were too long for his body, weren't they? <laughs> was it's it a bit like Paul Pogba's limbs so were a bit longer than they need to be. inappropriately shaped, is what you're saying, rather than inappropriately skilled. Well, was, it one, was it Ron Atkinson that said of Carlton Palmer that he covers every blade of grass because his first touch is so bad? <laughs> yes, touch and tackle. And also yes. he was very tall and his limbs were long, so if if he yes. was to lie down on the grass, he would yeah. probably cover... Well, well Bakayoko was basically channeling his inner 
Carlton Palmer. Oh, by the way, this eleven doesn't have to be um, current players. It can be yeah, of, yeah, yes. of recent, yeah, yeah. recent and, past and, as well. And you, the way you described <laughs> Bakayoko did make me think of the guy that came on for Russia against Spain at the World Cup. He's one that we've missed as a potential defender, Vladimir Granat. Right. I don't know if you remember this guy. He came on <laughs> and he played 75 minutes of the game because it obviously went to extra time and penalties. And he did not complete a single pass in 75 minutes. Well, that's impressive. That's consistent. I like that. So we've got a couple of central midfielders. That's brilliant. Simo mm. Bakayoko and Carlton Palmer. Is there anybody else you'd like to throw into the mix? Do we'll we remember Ian Ormondroyd? Oh. Ah, so we're moving to Sticks. the flank. Moving to the flank. Moving to the flank. Again, it's because he played wide and he must have been a bit like Carlton Palmer and Pogba the long limbs he's not tall he had really long arms as well small man syndrome he was like a a comedy character wasn't he it it was just bizarre but then playing him out and obviously back in the day those shorts that we used to play in didn't help as well because his legs were about eight feet long but it it just looked but then again where else if you wanted him in the team for his height presumably I don't think he particularly headed the ball well but anyway it's like like Peter Crouch Peter Crouch's technique is fairly terrible yes where else would he play but Today, I'm not sure he'd even get a game anywhere, but they played him on the right or left wing, th- presumably for attacking left. the far post. I, I used to, I, I'm sure he played but left it was, side, just to stay away from the chinch, obviously. But he just looked... How... What do you see that you think, he's going to cause so many problems to right-backs today? Because he was all arms and legs. It was all over the shop. As he's running past defenders, isn't he very he good at handing them off? He didn't run past defenders. <laughs> he could hand them off when they were on the edge of the box and he was on the halfway line. His arms were that long. So we've got Ian Ormondroyd as being a potential winger on this. Any any other suggestions about midfield? Well, so what, what, are we, what are we looking for out of, a, out of an inappropriately placed winger? Is this a, a winger who's not very quick? Yes. Uh, a player who cannot cross the ball Tick. to save their lives? So he, he, he fulfills Trick. those criteria? No. So he just, he just every criteria. But what, what makes a coach play him? Is it, is it the least, again, damaging because you can't play him in the middle of the park because he just fall over the ball. You can't. Pl- where else would you play him? But if you want him in the team for his physicality, is that the only place to stick him? Can you think of players in your career who played somewhere v- through default because either the, the club wasn't particularly well furnished in that area or because he was a good enough footballer, generally speaking, to be in the team but had no discernible skill <laughs> in any position? It normally ends up as left-backs, isn't it? <laughs> normally just can get crowbarred. So can, when can you, you were injured... Yes, <laughs> You just put anybody could be put in there. But that is that, is that why now, James Milner played left back for Liverpool? It is a position, but as a, a fullback, it's becoming so important right. in the game that that isn't happening. That's happening less and less. But was, was there a player like Let that? Th- I don't know. I'm, you put I'm me on the to spot think there. Let me. I'll have to have a think. Let me have a think I'm about that. Try to think yeah. of, of somebody, and then we'd call it the Ormondroid argument. Um, Alan Harper, Remember Alan Harper, mm-hmm. Everton. He played everywhere, but and yet nowhere. No, and yet nowhere. <laughs> so what? What was that position? He played right back. He played utility, mid-fit, a utility man. But that's not really because there's players like remember I played with Paul Lake, who could genuinely play everywhere brilliantly. So that's not utility. That sadly they couldn't find his best position when really probably playing as a centre half would have been his best position. He could genuinely play anywhere. He was that good. But that's not utility. That's just being brilliant at playing football in every position. Where utility players are. It's like Francis Benali. Was he a kind of player who one of the world's best could do backs. a job everywhere, but wouldn't really get? 
But what 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 I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at is that there there must have been players that you have played alongside that didn't really have a discernible position for for a couple of reasons. One could be that they were Ian Ormondroyd and they they didn't really have a, well, he, but a he had fit a position. He played, he played there but, regularly, but, but you yeah, said why? That he, that he played there exactly. What was the reason he played yeah, there? Yeah. But also there might be reasons that that players are forced into a team because they are genuinely skilled, but there is a player who is more skilled ahead of them in yes. that position. So there must have been players who you felt it was understandable for a manager to put that player in the mm. team, even though they didn't necessarily fit, because they were they were going to contribute, even if they weren't necessarily appropriately skilled for in that the very, position. In the very successful teams that I played in, and there were many, um, everyone tended to be very good at their position, particularly left back. So there was nobody of that ilk. Everybody who was in the team... The 95 Cup winning team, which was... You know, the people just couldn't hold us down. We were that good. But there was nobody crowbarred in there that you'd say, well, I need him in the team, but we'll have to play him there because Joe Bloggs is playing ahead of him and he's clearly better in his natural position. No, I don't think... For teams like Everton at that time, you needed everybody to know their jobs and be good at their particular positions. The, the very good teams could maybe do that a little bit more. What, what was Phil Neville? United, very, very good side. What was Phil Neville? What, what would you say his... He was right back, then, was he then left back, back, then central midfield. Is he utility he, or very good at playing? Or was he someone who you say, well, I need him in the team for whatever reason, probably he's bleached blonde hair. <laughs> I'll play him. Is that what they did? Or was there reasons why... Or was he the best option? I think he was, he was a significant enough contributor to, to be able to play in a number of positions. Would he command The, yeah, the problem was is that you probably wouldn't start with Phil Neville in any of those positions for Manchester United. When he went to Everton, of course, he started and was captain yes. as a central midfield player. Mm. So clearly there was something to contribute. But another Manchester United player, and I made a, a, a reference to him earlier, is Paul Scholes. And he was the player in my mind when I was asking you about that because the England teams of the early noughts played Paul Scholes because they had you to play him Paul in, Scholes yes. because yeah, yeah. he's brilliant. Yeah. For some reason, Sven or Eriksson couldn't figure out how to have three central midfielders in his team. I mean, that's just crazy. incredibly yeah, difficult crazy, yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, but no but one's really solved that conundrum, have they? <laughs> no, not, not no, since, not ever before. No, no. And so he played him on the left-hand side. Yeah. And he was inappropriately skilled to play on the left-hand side because yeah. he was clearly way better than that. So there are occasions where you have a player forced into a team because and they're that good and they need to be included. Yeah, but that's sadly, you actually, because he'll end up just drifting because he won't want to be there, will he? Because yeah, he'll think, "Well, I'm in the team, but football. I play here. So why would I go? Yeah, but I want you to go and stand out there." Well, he's that. That is a great example, actually. Of and you can understand if I was in that squad, which I was, uh, I'd want Scolzi. Scolzi, I'd want him in the team regardless. But if he played in front of me, he wouldn't be there, would he? Because he naturally wouldn't be there because that's not his position. But I can understand why they'd want him in the team. Let's move up front, shall we, before we end this conversation. And again, if anybody would like to contribute to midfield ideas that are in addition to Tamue Bakayoko, um, to Carlton Palmer and Ian Ormondroyd. <laughs> we need... What a team! We need... We need, we, need <laughs> we need wingers. We need slow... <laughs> Terrible crossing wingers in the, for our team, don't we? Change. Um, so oh. at Seppi's Menu or Seppi's Menu at gmail.com. Up front, the, the most recent example you can give is is somebody like Olivier Giroud, who I don't think had a shot on target for the entirety of a World Cup, which his team managed to win. <laughs> felt so sorry for him. I was just so praying, keep possession. Skilled because he played a role for the team, but inappropriately yeah. skilled in that he he genuinely was no goal threat whatsoever. <laughs> um, any other any other strikers? 
Shane Long. Oh, Shane Long. Shane, Shane Long quintessential. Has to, it has to come into the, the Rory discussion. Rory is a fan of Shane Long, so we should probably give him an opportunity on next week's show to, to, to come back and, and give us some, some reasons why Shane Case Long. Case for the defence. So apparently he's been playing as a winger in pre-season as well. Mark Hughes is trying him out as a winger, which is a sense mm. that he's been either listening to this or he knew better. The thing that intrigues me about Shane Long is I imagine if, if you're in the opposition dressing room and you see the Southampton team sheet and you see and you're the, you're a central defender and you see Shane Long is playing you're absolutely gutted because you know you're going to be running this way and that way you're going to be chasing him down blind alleys he's going to be running the channels you're going to be absolutely exhausted by the end of the 90 minutes but at least but you have a clean sheet but you're also yeah. completely <laughs> unconcerned whatsoever about him scoring a goal yes. which fundamentally when you play up front is kind of part of the responsibility is Raheem Sterling falling into the Shane Long category of do loads of really great stuff for the team, but you're a striker? Well, I think you, you probably take the the fact that he played there for England is not the main body of his work. The main no. body of work is for Manchester City where he plays on the right-hand side as a winger, a goal-scoring winger, because yeah, you have less expectation upon him and he comes in to tap it in the far I, post where, where it's evaded Jesus and, and Aguero <laughs> on the way or it bounces out to him. Having had this conversation with Rory about Shane Long, I feel like I can speak on his behalf that he admires the work rate, the, the technical ability the the pressure that he puts defend defenses under and i think the argument with a player like shane long is that in a better team he could be much more influential but that the clubs that he's played for are just at that level below the elite and he's not surrounded by enough good players yes. for the for the capabilities that that he has to really come to the fore do you think Usain Bolt would score more goals if he took up football? Which he might well do, because he'll have all the attributes of... He's quite quick, isn't he, Usain? Yes, we, we've So he'd probably get into goal-scoring positions, About an over-reliance on pace, and he'll have to watch yes. the offside chat very carefully. Mm. Um, but you're right about Shane Long playing with teams who are just a notch below top-quality teams, because you could say that Raheem Sterling, while Raheem Sterling is a better player than Shane Long, if Raheem Sterling was in those positions playing up front for the teams that Shane Long had played for, he probably would be similarly yes, frustrating. Yeah, As okay. it happens, he is on the end of stuff that is created for him by... So you think Shane Long, if it was reversed, Shane Long would be scoring? I would imagine that Shane Long, if he was playing on the right wing for, for Manchester yes. City, he might be scoring up. So, so okay. essentially, we're talking about players who are playing up front but don't score goals. It's and there must be more than just Olivier Giroud and Shane Long. Well, there's another player who falls into a similar category who plays and, for... By Le- the way, Olivier Giroud is just recency bias. That was, that was I should say, mm-hmm. rather than... You're just, je- you're just jealous, of, you're jealous of his hair and his beard. I am, I'm jealous of pretty much everything. Apart from his finishing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not very good at that. Another, another player who, who fits into that Shane Long mould is Yusuf Poulsen, the... Oh, Denmark he's international scored a very good goal at the World scored Cup. Scored a very it? good goal at the World Cup, which is completely out of keeping <laughs> with the way he generally goes about. Even his he business. was surprised. <laughs> he plays in the Bundesliga for RB Leipzig and has been with them for for four or five years during their remarkable rise through the German football structure. But ever since RB Leipzig have got to the second tier of German football and, and the two years they've played in the top flight, he's probably averaged four or five goals a season. And he plays up front in a really good team. And he works tirelessly. He makes space for the, the likes of Emil Forsberg and Timo Werner. But in terms of a threat on goal for a player who plays in a sort of number 10 kind of position, 
forget it. But go, that... go and go back to Sven Joran Eriksson's England, the Emil Heskey of of the RB Leipzig team, where it's absolutely crucial, makes runs, makes space, but scores five goals in 60 internationals. Well, that, well, that's the out for the coaches, isn't it? It's the, the role you're playing for the team. And that's the Olivier Giroud argument. And well. there is there is an argument for that, saying, well, actually, is a centre-forward all about goal scoring? And it, it isn't. Well, you expect them maybe to get between five and ten goals because they're, they're spearheading the attack, but they're linked. But all this kind of stuff when you're playing as a lone striker as well. It is a big part of the game. That goal he scored for Denmark at the World Cup was only the 18th or 19th goal he scored in all competitions for club and country in two years. They always talk about a playmaker, a number 10, a Matt Letizier being being a, a luxury. And can you afford to have a luxury in your team like that who doesn't do enough work without the ball? Mm. Is a striker who doesn't score a luxury in the same way? Or they... Or are they contributing more? Are they more pivotal? So therefore, you can get away with having one striker, whether it's your focal point number nine, with with two off you, or you're playing as a two, whether you can actually afford to have that player in your team because he is inappropriately skilled. He is playing up front. He is not scoring goals. It's, it's the Giroud effect, isn't it? A classic example effect. is what you've said about his contribution. People will look at it on paper and say he's done nothing in that competition yet has picked up a World Cup winner's medal because has he brought the best out of Griezmann and Mbappe because of the role that he plays and he probably knows his, his failings as much as anybody else but he will do all that he can do and maybe coach after coach after coach Chelsea brought him in because Morata wasn't firing Deschamps played him in every game because he knows the type of character he is he knows he's not going to be Scott. there was one which game was it where he was it the semi-final was it against Belgium and so there was a cross ball got played cross field and it was knocked across the box for him and he came onto it ahead of the defender, and it was—he went at it with his wrong foot. It was just every—it was like a, a goalkeeper, not Claudio Bravo, a goalkeeper in the opposition <laughs> box. It was just like a giraffe had been shot, and the ball had come the poor way Ian it was. Poor Ian <laughs> but it was that. And I thought, because I'm a big fan of Giroud, because I, I do believe it is a lot about the, the functioning of the team, and he does play a huge part in that. But when you put him in on goal, and he falls over the ball. It's very hard then to say, ah, but what a role he's playing. Yeah, but he's just fell over the ball. It is tricky. I think a lot of the players we've spoken about fall into a, a conversation that we've had previously on, on this podcast. Is that is They've got to get the right combination of coach, team mm-hmm. and players, haven't you? And, and someone like Shane Long, Southampton are playing too far away from the opposition's goal for his pace to be as useful as as it might be. Well, they play a possession-based game where the opposition sit behind the ball, so he's got yeah. no space to run into. So they, they, don't give me the ball to, to my feet. Exactly. I don't want they, they it. used to. They might not anymore. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. If, if Southampton were playing 20 or 30 yards further up the pe- mm. pitch, then suddenly Shane Long's pace would be more useful. It would be stretching things out and he'd, he'd get more support. And it was, I know when we didn't talk about this with, when we were talking about England and Raheem Sterling last week, but something that fascinated me in the, I think it was in the Sweden game, was how, uh, initially I was thinking, why is he not running faster? And I realised that he was so much quicker than both the Sweden defenders and his England teammates. Mm. He had to kind of do that thing like you do in a lad and dad's race, <laughs> where you had to look like you were running really fast, but actually everyone catch up. just make sure that the kids weren't dropping too far behind him. Because if, if he'd gone off at full pelt, yes. the Sweden, the Sweden defence wouldn't have bothered chasing him. They'd have yeah. just regrouped. He had to make sure that somebody was going with him, yes. was sticking on his shoulder, because then he might be able, you know, he was stretching the Sweden defence. He might be able to draw a free kick. And obviously we, knew, we know how ruthless England were from set pieces. And I think that's kind of like the, 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 the thing that someone like Shane Long perhaps needs to bring into their game is to realise that there's no point 
pelting after the ball, chasing towards the corner flag, because your teammates are 50 yards yeah. behind you. Yeah. What you need to do is to make sure you take somebody with you yeah. and, and give your, your, he's, your, he's, your teammates space to yeah, run into. Or, or he plays for a team like Leicester who clearly play on the counter-attack, where yeah. we want yeah. teams to come into our half, then bang, we, we turn exactly. you. And they don't do that. Southampton were the worst team, probably, at the way that they played. Uh, for, for Shane Long to be part of. Yeah, the way that they played under Pellegrino, who's mm. brilliant at breaking into the space between the D and the halfway line. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, the, uh, the, the other player that I just wanted to mention to, to finish on is, is the kind of player that you see kind of morphing as, the, as their career goes on because they are not inappropriately skilled, but their skills are lessening. <laughs> so they become, <laughs> by the end, inappropriately skilled. And a player that I'd like to mention is Dirk Kaut. Now, Dirk <laughs> Kaut started as a striker, <laughs> then was an inside forward, then he was a winger, then he was that kind of defensive right-hand side midfielder. So I just think, because of his industry and his ability to keep running forward and back and forward and back and to look absolutely knackered after one and a half minutes, <laughs> red-faced, <laughs> the, the long blonde hair just splattered yes, yes, yes. he should have been a wing-back. For, but well, the amount of running that he did, he might as well have put it to good use. Because wingbacks that would have been the best. are just up and down, yeah. up and down, up I, and I, down. I might have told the story when I played there against Jason McIntyre in the Merseyside, and yes. we just basically ran up and down yeah. alongside each other, and we must have touched the ball between us about four times. Yes, it's but, been a soccer story in the yeah, past. And it, that's just it was. But he'll be great for that, wouldn't he? Don't don't touch the ball, Dirk. Just run up and down the pitch. It'd be excellent. Massive plaudits to Dirk for running again. Uh, and, and another player, that a, a friend of mine um, in a previous job said that Owen Hargreaves should not be a footballer. Owen Hargreaves should be a long-distance runner because he just ran and ran and ran and ran and looked frustrated because he never got the ball. But that's N'Golo Conte, isn't it, who runs and runs and runs, but I can actually yeah. really play, but he just never stops. But you'd think he, oh, he's falling into that category of just a runner. But no, actually, he's, he reads the game well and he's, he's an excellent footballer. So some of those those names splattered against the wall might be sticking. Um, All of a, them. A few, a few of those to conjure with. We've got uh, the spine of a team, I think. We've got a spine. Oh, always a spine. <laughs> there is never a conversation about a good team that doesn't mention its good spine. Uh, let us know what you think about our names and please do add to them and then we'll try and come up with an 11. Uh, and if you think that there is a manager who is inappropriately skilled to take this team... Paul Jewell. <laughs> Just put Paul Jewell down now. P-A-U-L... <laughs> J-E-W-E-L-L, capital letters. Thanks. At yep. Set Piece Menu is where you'll find us on Twitter. <laughs> setpiecemenu at gmail.com. So it's, it's the Paul Jewel. The this team's bad, 11. but Julie can make them worse. Uh, of inappropriately <laughs> skilled players. At Set Piece Menu on Twitter. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Oh, um, I won't go through all of them because I've written down some and not the others. So uh, let us know what you think. Uh, do get in touch with Set Piece Menu. Uh, before we go, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is an Andy Tells tale from his playing days with all that our behaviour and life where the details removed. As you can see by my hair, I am a man of contrast. <laughs> the lemon with the natural mousy brown. But what struck me <laughs> with the recent World Cup was the talk of this club England about how all the players were really mucking together and it was as if a club had gone out there. Club England had gone out there and everyone knew each other really well and they didn't play for different clubs. Well, it's probably been reported over the years, over the last maybe 20, 25 years with England that it very definitely wasn't the case when I was playing and I was warned when I was first called up about how it was going to be in terms of the clicks and about how six Man United players or five Arsenal players, the Liverpool players, no one spoke to each other. And I, I was thinking, well, I've seen England play. They did quite well at the, at the Euros in 96. They did reasonably well, didn't they? Got to the semi-finals. So I thought, there can't, can't be these problems. There were these problems. <laughs> but, and and I, I thought, you know what, I could be the man to sort this 
problem out. But after, it must have been a good five minutes, I realised <laughs> I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. I was a lone wolf from Everton. <laughs> I don't, people didn't know who I was, for, for one. Until they saw me take a corner or a throw-in, then they realised, oh, it's, oh, it's him. him. But rather than try and pull people together and say, come on, guys, let's all stick together for the common good. What I did, we had set meal times where, whether it be Glenn Hoddle or Kevin Keegan, tried to bring everyone together and, and, and be as one. But it, it, it was awful. The, the tension, the atmosphere was absolutely awful. And rather than try and say, this is a really good thing, shouldn't we see the error of our ways and all pull together? Breakfast was like between 8 and 10. And then we used to go off training about 11 o'clock. I used to get up half an hour earlier and have my breakfast at half seven so I wouldn't have to deal with anyone, see anybody. You're making it worse. So I made it worse rather than... But it was so incredibly awful and the atmosphere was so incredibly bad that I just... I can't sit down there because there was only maybe three or four players that were from one club. I think Nigel Martin was at Leeds, I think, at the time. Graham Lasseau... I can't remember, it must have been Shearer must have been there. That was he at Blackburn at that time when he was Euro 96. Would Shearer have been... But no, there was no, Graham Lasseau spoke to me. Six is when he moved, I think, to Newcastle. Yeah, he spoke to me. Nigel Martin spoke to me. But there was times like on the on the coach where you know you have like I think I don't know whether I told the story of like there's, there's set numbers of seats in certain parts. So there'd be four United players sat around a table for four, uh, and Phil Neville got on. So there was then five. And rather than join where there was a spare seat, he would stand up, which health and safety you should be doing anyway. He'd rather stand up with the United players than sit down with myself or Graham Lasseau or Nigel, he, he couldn't, so that's how partisan it was. Oh my God. It was crazy. And people, Barry Horn was the one that warned me about it, so he must have had wind that this is how the situation was. I got there, I couldn't believe it, but I played my part. I fed, I was petrol on the flames by getting up that's at the seven. in your hair. Shut up. <laughs> getting up half an hour early to get downstairs to have my porridge and eggs not together separately. And no caffeine. And then rush back up to my room to avoid the rush when all the other players came down and didn't speak to each other over breakfast. What's that all about? So Chinch goes into his <sighs> first England squad thinking he's going to be the solution. I was terrified. Hello, football chums. No, I Let's knew. all be friends. I wasn't like Joey Barton. I'm going to mix this up. I'm thinking, I don't want to mix this up. This is like petrol and water. This is never going to mix, is it? So the, the achievement of Gareth Southgate and this group of England players should not be sniffed at because they it's have... It's incredible. They have fashioned a completely new way of doing things. And maybe it is like we talked about earlier with, with in other pods, we talked about individuals compared to teams not having a star, or whether they're so young that we don't have a star individual who maybe wants to be the centre of attention. Where I think the England team's squads I was part of, there were big names at big clubs, Tony Adams, Paul Ince, Alan Shearer. You always tended to feel that they all wanted to be the star and did you really want the team to win? I'm sure they'll say, yes, I did. Yeah, but it isn't like that with England now. Maybe that will change. Hopefully it won't. And this will be the, the start of how it should be. In lots of other countries, you do tend to get a feeling. In Spain, the Barcelona-Real Madrid players, they kick seven bells out of each other when they play. But they have the ability, apart from this tournament, to, uh, to come together and get the job done. But with and, England, and but I, I, I was... one of the reasons why 2010 worked. Well, 2008 yeah. initially, wasn't it? That, that... So maybe from 1998 onwards to this World Cup has been down to me going down early for breakfast and not pulling the guys together and saying, you know, knocking a few heads and saying, let's get this sorted, guys. We're a team here. I think it's very important that uh, each and every episode after we hear from Chinch with his soccer story that we have a moral. Yes. And the moral is, don't pick Chinch for England. 
I should never have been picked for England. Well, that's that's true, but we have a second reason now. Mm. Uh, Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Don't forget how you can get in touch. Uh, do give us some suggestions for our inappropriately skilled 11 managed by Paul Jewell. <laughs> at Setpiece Menu is where we are on Twitter, and setpiecemenu at gmail.com is our email address. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. We will return next week with your suggestions and perhaps an 11 too, uh, with Rory's thoughts included, hopefully, uh, from his sojourn in Italy Italian word there sojourn thank you to Steve and Andy and thank you to you all for listening we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed there must be lots and lots of players that we've we've not thought of well like I said 75% of our brains are currently in Italy so there'll be lots of multi-millionaires that we've not thought of that's the sobering thought isn't it and we can expand it out we you know we can have uh, inappropriate football chairman Peter Ridsdale mm. if he was you know if there was to be a club he would be the chairman inappropriate venue to play football Wembley Stadium I mean yeah. there's the, the, yeah. the possibilities are endless this is great keep it coming Steve keep it going Steve keep it going Steve no those are both my ideas oh. it's gone. <laughs> That's, they're both mine oh. and my only ideas uh, yeah, but the, you could have in, inappropriate finance directors I'm sure there's somebody who's currently in jail who, well, who, Robert Maxwell Robert Maxwell well, he well, could, clearly couldn't do it for obvious reasons not currently know enough about football well mm. nor does Paul Jewell so mm. um, I speak for you there Chinch I don't think that mm. yes inappropriate funding streams inappropriate funding streams you've got um, who was the, who was the what about it was oh. the Portsmouth uh, the Portsmouth the Peter Story that didn't work out too well, did it? I, you know what I like? We should have inappropriate team sponsorships, but sensible, not not nasty, comedic, comedic, inappropriate. But, but real companies real sponsoring companies. real teams, but for hilarious reasons. You know, when you look in in a program at any uh, football game, you will notice that individual players are sponsored um, as well. Particularly, mm. they used to be not so much yes, anymore. Yes, yeah. Um, cricket teams have individual yeah, sponsored yeah. players as well. I think football so still has it. So yeah. you can have uh, like Diane and Dave's butty shop. Yes, that exactly. type of thing. Yeah, sponsored Kevin always, De Bruyne. It's really, it's really upsetting <laughs> when you've got players who aren't yet to be sponsored. Yes. If you'd like yeah. to sponsor this player, call this number. And you just think to yourself, it's like a, a house on the market being reduced and reduced and reduced and reduced. How, how much will it uh, cost to uh, uh, sponsor that second eleven player at Derbyshire Cricket Club? But, w- but would there become a point where the player would say, "I don't I'd want them sponsoring me. me. I'd rather have nothing." Because I don't, I don't want to have a car which is liveried with that name <laughs> on it. So yes, if anybody's got any suggestions, oh, that would be brilliant. Individual yeah. players, yeah. but they, ca- they have to be proper companies yes. for proper teams. I think, I think we're asking a little bit too much now. Though. Why? We're asking a little bit too much. We're not though, are People we? People don't have as much time in their lives as you do, Chin. Yeah, well, forget all the other stuff you said and just concentrate just on, on what I said because okay. that's better. Listen to the guy with the blonde tips. That's a good tip in itself.